We are going to start this morning. By the way, I'm Pastor Jason, and welcome to Rancho Baptist Church. I have the privilege of being the senior pastor here and bringing God's Word Sunday after Sunday, and I am excited about what the Lord has for us today in His Word. Even more excited to be preaching as I spent a, several days this week in Beaumont, going through a yeah, it wasn't so much because I was in Beaumont that was so exciting. <laughs> it, was a, it was a preaching workshop, and it was so good. And on my way home, I believe it was Thursday night, I, I kept taking Lamb's Canyon to come home because I didn't want to deal with the freeways. And so as you come over the canyon and you come down, I totally forgot the name of the canyon in first service. So, so you, you guys are so much better off trying to figure out, who, what is Jason talking about? So as I was coming down the canyon, heading in towards Hemet, I noticed all these cars a couple hundred yards ahead of me pulling off into, onto a street that was like a, a no-name street. Why, why would you pull off there? <clears throat> and I see more and more cars pulling off over there, and, and, and just a couple seconds later, my, my GPS gets updated and tells me to pull off. And I see all these cars on my left passing me just cruising at 65. And I'm like, why would I want to pull off? This is dumb. And I look ahead and I'm trying to foresee what's ahead. I can't see any accidents. And so I just, I just think the GPS is off. I'm not going to listen to this. this. This isn't true. This isn't a good warning. This is going to slow me down. I know that if I keep going, I will be home in like an hour. So what did I do? I did a very unwise thing, and I went over and cruised at 65 with everybody else for about 40 seconds. <laughs> then as I came around the corner, everybody was gridlocked. And there were guys actually in, in Jeeps and trucks going off into the dirt, doing a U-turn and going the direction of the street that I just told myself I shouldn't go. Now, maybe you can't relate with me, but that, that relates to all sorts of other areas. God gives us, at times, warnings. They're, they're big old signs. And he's saying, stay away from this. Don't let this creep into your life and become something that you hold on to so tightly that it is going to destroy you. And that is what he is going to share with us this morning. And what is that? The love of money. It doesn't matter who you are this morning. We all deal with it. And it is something that we must be reminded of again and again. Why? Because it is so easy for us to grasp onto money and not recognize that we are and make that the main thing as to why we're living. But it's not just the Apostle Paul that mentions it. Turn with me to Luke. Maybe I already told you to turn to Luke. Anyways, turn to Luke chapter 12 and, and look at what Jesus says. And Jesus has a lot to say about wealth, about money, about the love of money. So it must be significant. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Hey, tell him to give me my half. Come on. But he said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? And then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. What is greed? Greed is the love of money. 
Notice he uses this as an opportunity to teach everyone. This was just a dialogue between him and one other man. Beware and be on your guard against every, kind, every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of possessions. That isn't what our world tells us. That isn't what oftentimes we actually believe in, in the inner recesses of our heart. If I could just get a bigger house, a nicer car, man, life would be so much better. But he doesn't stop there. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? A.K.A., man, I I can make more money than I am right now. Not content with what I have. And then he said, verse 18, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, for this reason I say to you. Now he brings it home so that they won't miss it. For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life. As to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Have you learned that lesson? That, that, that secret of, of letting go of money, not holding on to it so tightly, and holding with open hands. You see, this is a power struggle that, that is not going to go away. And money will always have too strong a hold on us if we do not have a proper view of it. It'll take over us. It won't be anymore that we just hold on to money. It will be, it'll switch, and money will hold on to you, and it'll pull you. Just as my impatience pulled me to not listen to what my GPS was telling me to do, that you will listen to what money is telling you to do, and your whole life will follow suit, and that will become the main pursuit in your life. And what we're going to see this morning is that will lead to destruction. What are you living for? Or better yet, a a better question is, who are you living for? Charles Haddon Spurgeon had, had this to say on this subject regarding Philippians 4.19, which says this, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And then Spurgeon goes on and he says, Paul's God is our God. And he will supply all our need. God will do it, for he loves us. He delights to bless us, and it will glorify him to do so. His pity, his power, his love, his faithfulness all work together that we be not famished. What a measure the Lord goes by. 
according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The riches of his grace well, are large. But what shall we say of the riches of his glory? Who shall form an estimate of this? According to this immeasurable measure, will God fill up the immense abyss of our necessities? He makes the Lord Jesus the receptacle and the channel of his fullness. And then he imparts to us his wealth of love in its highest form. Hallelujah. My God shall supply all your need. God's supplies are surer than any bank. Do you believe that this morning? Do you honestly believe that? The follow-up question then is, do you live like that? It's one thing to believe it, but it's an entirely different thing to actually pattern your life after that and pursue, instead of money, the Lord Jesus Christ. We all recognize that money in and of itself is not evil or good. It's, it's neutral. It's, it's amoral. It's, it's just a thing. It's that desire that you have for that money that then leads you astray, leads me astray. We, we could think of it much as we could think of a brick. A, a brick is, is incredibly useful and helpful when, you're, when it's used to make a hospital, to help people. But a brick can also be used as a weapon to kill someone or as a vehicle to break open a window and then run into a store and loot it, as we've seen. Let's go to Proverbs. Look at Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 to 9. Again, there is so much scripture that speaks to this. And look at the attitude that we see in Proverbs 30. This is the attitude that we should have. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 to 9. Keep deception and lies far from me. And notice the context, what he's going to say. What is deception and lies? What does it relate to? It relates to money. This is what the world's telling you. This will make you happy. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I will not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's see what the Lord has to say through the Apostle Paul to Timothy and to the church in Ephesus about this idea of the love of money. I am not usually going to quote ben Frank, Benjamin Franklin in a sermon, but I stumbled upon this quote and I, I think it is a good one. This is what Benjamin Franklin has to say about this subject of, of money. He said, money never made a man happy yet, nor will it. <clears throat> the more a man has, the more he wants. Instead of filling a vacuum, it makes one. And it is for this reason that the Apostle Paul gives us, what I'd like to say, five warnings 
in these verses. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. Five warning signs say on, on the road that's letting us know, hey, turn around, you're going the wrong way. Don't seek after this. If you do, it will end in your destruction. Continuing on where we were last week with, with the wrong understanding of godliness, that it is a means of gain where these false teachers were thinking godliness was only good because they were using it to gain more and more material possessions, wealth. And look at what Paul says next. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Let's pray so that the Holy Spirit is the one that teaches, not me. Heavenly Father, we need your help. We recognize that this is a temptation, that this is a trap that we can easily fall into without even really fully recognizing it, Lord. So we pray that you would humble us, that you would penetrate our hearts this morning with your word, that you would allow us to see what we need to see, that you would give us an eternal perspective that would cause us to want to live for the treasures of heaven instead of what this world is, is offering to us as a, as a cheap imitation of what truly will satisfy us. We want to be satisfied with you and you alone and use your word this morning in our lives to bring that about. May your spirit be our teacher, our guide this morning. May this message go in, out in the power of him, no one else this morning. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So five reasons why we as believers are not to love money. The first one is, simply put it, the love of money does not bring contentment. It might offer contentment. Commercials, our world would tell us, oh yes, it, it'll make you happy. It'll bring you contentment. But the reality is that is not what we see in God's word. That is not what it will bring you. There is a, a way for you to gain contentment, but it is not through the pursuit of money and wealth and material possessions. How is it done? It's done through godliness. Look at verse 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. What is Paul doing? He is clearly defining godliness for us as opposed to what we saw godliness to look like in verse 5, which was an inaccurate description of godliness. Godliness is not something that you use as an opportunity to get rich. There are many, many that do that today, and they will one day find just how short this life is compared to the life that they will have to live in the future. All of eternity. Why is it that, that money doesn't bring contentment? 
because it has no eternal significance in and of itself. Think about this. How much money did Adam and Eve had in the garden before the, the fall? I'll answer for you, none. <laughs> okay, from the beginning of man, let's go to the end. Let's go to the reigning of Jesus Christ for all of eternity that we will one day enjoy with him. How much are you going to prize money then? Will you even see money? But godliness actually is a means of great gain. Notice what he's doing. He's pointing right back to verse 5. He's saying, hey, you know what they're telling you? They're telling you that godliness is a means of gain. Oh, yes, man, this will help you. And what Paul is saying is actually, no, it's more than that. It's not just a gain. It is a great gain. And, and this word great means to exceed that which is normal. Whatever your expectation is for what you are going to gain from this, no, no, this is actually much greater than that. And in the context, it's talking about money. So however much contentment and happiness and fulfillment you think you're going to get by pursuing more and more money and material wealth and possessions, whether that's to make your family more happy, sitting easier, no, no, no. What this is saying is actually the way to really gain, great gain is through godliness through seeking the Lord. Let me define for us godliness again that I presented a couple, might be a couple months back now. Godliness is an active obedience that springs from a reverent awe of God. Pursuing God and what He wants for us because the more that we see Him for all that He is and all of His awe and wonder that we then respond in obedience moving forward not because we have to but because we want to not because it earns us eternity but because we already have eternity with him and notice godliness is given to us in a condition here it's not just godliness period it's godliness when accompanied by contentment in regarding what you have are you content in what you have? Let me use this definition for contentment. The quality of a person who has enough and is not longing for more. That is so easy to say and incredibly difficult to live. To be satisfied with what you have and not seek anything more. That means whatever car you're driving in right now, when you see a nicer car, a newer version of it, it is you stop yourself and say, you know what, I don't need that. That, that, that might look like you go and visit some friends and, and, you, and you love your house until you get to their house. And you love your backyard until you see their backyard. You're like, no, we, man, wouldn't it be sweet to have that? No, contentment says I am satisfied with what the Lord has given me. Not seeking anything else. It's satisfaction with what one already has. Godliness is not all about acquiring better and more material things. 
It's recognizing and finding sufficiency and contentment in Christ alone, no matter what circumstances you might find yourself in. Paul's point is this. Godliness provides all that a believer needs. The temptation for us is to long for material wealth in addition to godliness and think that that is going to somehow make us better when indeed it will not. This is the lesson that the Apostle Paul learned. This is why he says in Philippians 4, 11 to 13, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So first, we, we must recognize that money won't satisfy us. Second, that we see in verse six or seven, sorry, is this. Money is temporary. Maybe you should say that with me. Money is temporary. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. This is so clear from what the Apostle Paul says. In fact, it's even, he says it even more clear. For we have brought nothing into the world. So, so as you start, in the world there is cosmos. It means the entire universe. You don't bring anything into it. You can't take anything out. So we cannot take anything out of it either. What is he doing? He's stressing the temporal versus the eternal. He's letting us know, don't just live for today. That's the temptation with money. That that's all you think about. And you don't think about the eternal. You don't think about the treasures of heaven and living for his glory and being content with whatever he has given you and being satisfied with him and him alone. Notice what it says. We can't take anything out of it either. What does that mean? Anything, it could have been translated something. It could have been translated anyone. It could have been translated anything. It could have been translated more than one thing. His point, nothing. Period, and you can't take anything with you. That means not your house. That means not your car, not your favorite dog. Not even your son or your daughter. That's not in your control. So then what, what is the thing that you can take? Have you considered this? What, what is the one thing that you can take with you? Your belief in Jesus Christ. In fact, everything will hinge upon what you do with Jesus. That is what Paul is getting at. Don't lose sight of Jesus in the midst of all this other stuff. Recognize that what you do with him is the most significant because after this life, what you do with Jesus will be the hinge on whether or not you spend all of eternity in heaven or you spend all of eternity in hell. That is what you can take. That is all that you can really take. Your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, which, which leads us to the place what do you believe about Jesus? 
Are, are you ready to go from here into eternity today? You do not know what will happen to you on the way home. Whether you're here with us or you're, or you're listening online. But the Lord knows. And He's giving you this opportunity this morning to turn in repentance towards Him. To recognize that He is the only way to the Father. Just as Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God that no one can boast. Have you received this gift of eternal life from the Lord Jesus Christ? He is the only one that can offer it because He is the only one that is raised from the dead. He's the only one who lived a perfect life. And God is completely holy. He can't allow any sin to go unpunished. And so what did he do? He, he put the, the sins upon Jesus Christ, the punishment for those sins, while he was hanging in agony. What we celebrated and remembered as we started our time. Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Please, I plead with you this morning to turn to him in repentance and to accept his free gift of eternal life. That is what you can take with you not all of your stuff. So don't love money. Why? Because it doesn't bring contentment. It's only temporary. And look at this too. Third, it's minimally required or needed. You don't need as much as you think you need. Right? You don't need as much as you think you need. Look at verse 8. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. What's funny is that with these, we're often not content. That in our minds, no, we actually need something more. That's why it is so good to get out of the United States and go to other countries. Because then you will see that we have so much, and yet we're not content with what we have. Trade places with the, the, the people group that we lived among. And live their life for a week where you don't have stores. You don't have ten changes of clothes. You possibly only have one pair of shorts and one shirt. And you have no shoes. And if you get a sore, you don't have any band-aids to put over it. So you have to do the best you can putting a, a leaf over it. You know, oftentimes we, we don't think of just how little we can get by with. What a challenge. With these we shall be content. Food and covering. What's food? Well, you know what food is. That which can sustain you. Not that which can fill you up to where you're just about to throw up because you ate so much. No, that which sustains you that is needed to sustain your body and keep it strong, covering that which gives you protection. Most likely speaking of your clothing, but could be speaking of a house as well. Listen, the Lord isn't saying that, that it's a sin to have possessions. What, what, what we see in this is the sin comes when you are discontent with what you have. And as a result, you just can't stop getting more. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. 
For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? How can you, how can you keep from loving money and making it too much of a desire in your life? Let me, let me give us four principles before we go on to the final two things that we need to stay away from. And honestly, as Paul gets to the end here, he ramps things up and lets us know, you know, you might justify having this and that and extra stuff and, 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 and all sorts of things, but you can't get away from the last two things that we're going to see because the end result is destruction. The end result is apostasy. Those thinking that they were believers, but they're really not. Four principles to help you from holding on to money too tightly. Here's the first one. Recognize that all that you have comes from God and therefore is His, not yours. Ouch, that's a hard one. It's not yours. That means your children too. That means your spouse. That means all that you have in your bank account. That means your house. That means your car. That means everything is His. And that follows, number two, is be thankful for what you have. Rejoice in His goodness and giving you all that He has given you. Number three, this is simple but so easy to overlook, especially when, when we have these things called credit cards. Spend less than you make. Spend less than you make. Stop using your credit card. That, that, that's a good step. Number four, give back to the Lord. The more you give, the less you're going to hold on to your money. Think about all that you can do with it. Instead, you give it to the Lord and say, hey, what are you going to do with it? And then don't worry about what he does with it. Trust that he is doing what he wants. You see, the person growing in godliness says that the, the essentials of life what he already has in the way of food and clothing, that that's enough. But then we see things continuing to spiral out of control in this desire for money. In verse 9, don't love money. Why? Because it is destructive. It is destructive. You can't miss that in this verse. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation. Notice it's those who want to get rich. Not just those that are rich already. That, that, that includes everyone. That this is a temptation. doesn't matter if you're in the jungles of Papua New Guinea where they don't have money. You can still be greedy. Listen, I lived with them. And just because you don't have much doesn't mean that you don't want more. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. What do they want to do above all things? They want to get rich. They want to be sitting better than some, everybody else. And notice how, again, it doesn't say those who are rich, but those who desire to get rich rich, to be rich. What do they do? They fall into temptation and they fall into a trap. They fall into temptation, meaning that they fall into something that then leads them into further sin. That you're not satisfied, so then what do you do? You keep going after something that you shouldn't. Ultimately leading you to a trap, to a snare. 
This could either be a, a trap which you fall into unaware, or this could be a trap that you know you're walking into, but you walk into it anyways, and then you can't get out. It plays with your desires and fills more and more harmful and foolish desires in you that ultimately plunge men. That's the word for a ship being sunk. Plunge men into two words that basically mean the same thing, ruin and destruction. It's talking about destruction. Emphasizing spiritual destruction, which starts now and goes into the future life. How many incredibly rich people do you know of that as you look at their life, you're, you're like, where's the destruction, Pastor Jason? It's coming. Morally, they're, they're already being destroyed within their own hearts. So stay away from money, from the love of money. Why? Because it doesn't bring contentment. It's only temporary. It's minimally needed. It's destructive. And, and finally, it is the gateway of all sorts of evil. It's a root that then branches up into a great big tree with branches just full of destruction. Destruction for you. More and more sin. And, and we've, I'm sure that you can attest to this too. You've seen this in people's lives. Verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So where will the love of money take you? It will take you to more and more sin, more and more evil. I, I can still remember vividly when the first Air Jordans came out. They're like 100 bucks. And growing up in the South Bay where I was at, I, I heard as I was working at the movie theaters where I worked out in Manhattan Beach, that some kid in the Hawthorne Mall had bought a, a pair of Air Jordans, a brand new pair. And he took it out to the, to the parking lot. And when he got out there, he got jumped and murdered for them. All over a pair of shoes. I, I'm sure we can all recount stories like that. What is the reason? It's because of greed. We need to stay away from that because it will allow us to follow their path. But notice what Paul does. He takes it from being outside the church and even into your life as an individual, and he brings it into the church. As he says this, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith. They've been misled. They've been led astray by what? By this love of money to such an extent that now they have abandoned the faith. The idea here wasn't that they had true saving faith before, and somehow lost it. No, that's not consistent with Scripture. These guys were never saved. And it's a reveal that they are not saved because why? The love of money took everything from them. And they walked away. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with income. This, too, is vanity. I prepared this all week, I kept being reminded of a, of a song that, that we heard one time when we came home on home assignment and ended up going to a Casting Crowns comp, um, concert. 
I don't want you to look at this now or pull it up, but this would be a good thing for you to take your kids to and look at it as a family. The song is called American Dream. Let me read it for us. All work, no play may have made Jack a dull boy, but all work, no God has left Jack with a lost soul. But he's moving on full steam. He's chasing the American dream. He's, he's going to give his family the finer things. Oh, not this time, son. I've no time to waste. Maybe tomorrow we'll have time to play. And then he slips into his new BMW, and he drives farther and farther and farther away because he works all day and tries to sleep at night. He says things are going to get better better in time so he works and he builds with his own two hands and he pours all that he has and a castle made with sand but the wind and the rain are coming crashing in and time will tell just how long his kingdom stands his kingdom stands his american dream is beginning to seem more and more like a nightmare with every passing day daddy can you come to my game oh baby please don't work late Another wasted weekend and they're slipping away because he works all day and he lies awake at night. He tells them things will get better. It'll just take a little bit more time. So he works and he builds with his own two hands and he pours all that he has in a castle made with sand, but the wind and the rain are coming crashing in. Time will tell just how long his kingdom stands, his kingdom stands. He used to say whoever dies with the most toys wins, but if he loses his soul, what he's... What has he gained in the end? I'll take a shack on a rock over a castle in the sand. Now he works all day and cries alone at night. It's not getting any better. Looks like he's running out of time because he's worked and he's built with his own two hands and he's poured all that he had into his castle made with sand. But the wind and the rain are coming crashing in. Time will tell just how long his kingdom stands. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Mark 8, 36. May we take the heed, the warning from the word of God this morning and let go of the grasp of money that is so easy for us to grab onto and not even recognize. Let me pray as Pastor Shane and the worship team come up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for how clear it is. We ask for your help, Lord. We don't want to live for the things of this earth. We want to live for the treasures of heaven. We want to live for your glory. That when this life is done, that we will stand before you and and we will hear those words that we want to hear so much. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Help us to do that, Lord. That you might be honored, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen.